Welcome to Off the Beaten Path, but not lost. With Tony, Kristen, Kylie, and Lexi. Join us on this RV full-time living journey. Across the beautiful United States. Where the fellas? Welcome to episode 94. This week we're talking beets. Sugar beets. We talked about this topic last year when we came to do the sugar beet festival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're back again. And now we're experienced and we have more thoughts. Seasoned. We're seasoned, yeah. And we have more thoughts to tell you and um, also we... We got some more information to share this time. Some more yeah. fun, interesting facts about the beet harvest. First, we are six episodes away from our 100th episode. So we would love, love if you sent us your questions. This week, I'm going to be putting up some posts on social media that ask for questions. So feel free to add them there in like the question box thing that I put on there. You can DM them to us or... The easiest way is to go to thefeolas.com slash message and leave us a message. Super quick. We'll even play your message on the podcast. If you don't want us to play it, just say it in the beginning. Don't play this and then leave us your message. Yeah, like what color are sugar beets? Why did we decide to do this? Why did we choose a class A RV? You know, anything. Ask us anything. Ask us something fun. What's our favorite state? (laughs) That's always a good question that is asked to us. That's an impossible I know. answer. <laughs> and we haven't even done all 50 yet. Yeah. So anyways, please go do that right now. We would love for you to be part of the podcast that's coming up in six episodes. If you want the show notes for this episode, you can find them at thefailers.com slash 94. And let's talk sugar beets. So this is year two of working the sugar beet harvest. We, I would say probably I enjoyed it enough that I was willing to come back. Uh, although I have a night shift this year, 12 hours from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. I was lucky enough last year to get the position I wanted, which was skid steer driver and the day shift all in the same shebang. So that was a bonus for our first year. And we got set up in like a really nice RV campground. Uh, we really like it here. There's, there's enough to do for like the kids to keep busy, the dogs, there's dog park and stuff. Yeah, there's a big playground. Yep. But just to give you a little uh, refresher, um, I did days last year. I'm doing nights this year, and that's because you alternate every year. Yep. Another thing we decided to do this year was do the pre-harvest. So we'll have some thoughts about that as well because we've already started that. Yep. Again, I talked about it in the beginning of this podcast, but we did one of these last year. We actually did three podcasts last year. We did one, um, you know, talking about pre-harvest, but it wasn't like, actually pre-harvest. It was it was, it was like it was, our expectations yeah. of what the Sugar Beet Festival was going to be about. Yeah, now you're calling it a festival. I, I mix it up. <laughs> uh, and that's episode 46. And then there was another one we did where it was like the girls and I. It was just a quick, short one. I don't know what episode that was, but it was a couple episodes after 46. And then we did one after as well. 
like talking about what happened yep. after we did the harvest. Yeah, and our thoughts and would we do it again and all that stuff. So because we go into all the details on that, we talk about orientation. We talk about like clothes that we ended up getting, things that we like planned ahead of time, all of that. In those one of those three podcasts, you can get all the information for that. So in this round, I wanted to twist it up a little bit and tell you about a little bit about the beet harvest, what it is, what is work camping, like what is all of this that we're doing in the first place. So just quickly, what is work camping? Yeah, that's and you know that's funny because um, there is the beet harvest, American Crystal Sugar, and the growers and all that stuff. They rely heavily on traveling workers, but there is like a large amount of locals that work. Like all the time, I'm meeting new people and that are working there, and um, a lot of them are locals and they know all about the harvest and stuff because they've grown up here or whatever, but. They don't know a lot about work camping and, like, full-time RVing and stuff. So I'm constantly talking to people about this and, like, telling them what we do and how we make money and all that stuff. But you will see, like, the Beat Harvest, American Crystal Sugar, the people that do that. I don't think it's them. It's the... Um, oh, it's Express Employment, too. Yeah. yeah. They will be at all, like, the RV, like, Quartzite yeah. and stuff like that to get the RVers. Because yeah, it's an easy... And... It's a really easy thing for full-time RVers because we just show up in our RV. Yeah. And then we leave when it's done. So it's really easy. And we don't normally want to stay either. So we're, <laughs> like, the perfect contract. Yep. So let's talk about what is work camping. Work camping involves working while camping or living in an RV. Many RVers take on temporary jobs all across the country, everything from state parks, national parks, types, things like this, um, where you work. Sometimes you can work like gates. I know that they've had like gatekeepers and stuff. We've talked about this before on a podcast, um, and that's a real, like, that's a really good thing for some RVers to get extra money. Yeah, and I'd say we talked two recruiters at a Quartzite RV show when we were there. Got a little bit of info from them. So that's what work camping is. What is a sugar beet, Tony? Tell me about it. A sugar beet is a root. So basically, if you could picture like a turnip or something like that, kind of like they're kind of round and they they taper off into like a really long taproot that goes straight down into the ground. Um, But sugar beets are actually the primary source of sugar in a lot of parts of the world. Most people think that it comes from sugarcane, which is what I thought in the beginning, but most of it, I would say majority, I've seen numbers, but I think a majority of it comes from sugar beets. And the harvest, at least in this area, is a major event. It is, yeah. (laughs) People come from all over to do it. Um, The farmers take it very, very serious. The towns take it serious. Yep. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah, like I said before in the the first podcast I think we did is like it is like a festival because people from everywhere come to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a festival for like me because I'm not working. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, true. Sugar beets are planted in the spring and grow throughout the summer. They are root crop, which you just mentioned. And the part of the plant that's actually harvested and processed is the root itself. Yep. It's not the top part. The top part is actually just cut off. Yeah, the greenery um, is just, yeah, shredded And they up. do use that for other things, I think, right? Just maybe fertilizer. I think yeah. they just till it back in. Sugar beets are grown in various parts of the world. But in the United States, they're grown in, like, Minnesota, North Dakota, Idaho, and Michigan. 
I, th- I think Montana too. Mon- Sydney, Montana has oh. a sugar beet harvest that you can sign up for as well, but it might be part of North Dakota. Yeah, I'm sure Montana. And I think there's others too, but those are like the main ones that I just mentioned. But the reason they do it here is because this Red River Valley on the east side of North Dakota is super fertile. Yeah, I think that I read somewhere that it's like the best area for yeah. sugar beets. And they, do, they don't just do sugar beets, which is a huge crop here, but they do potatoes. They actually do canola. I found that out from a grower the other day. Canola. Oh. There's a lot of bean crops here. All right, so the harvest. Let's talk the harvest. Yep. It's when you bring the sugar beets from the fields to the processing centers or the piling sites yep. that are all over. How many piling sites are there? Do you know yet? Uh, At no, least in this area. I, I think a dozen or more. Just in this area? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? So there's different districts. There's like you? the Drayton district. And then there's like the Grand Forks district. And each one of them has, I think, a dozen or more piling sites. And how many processing centers does Crystal Sugar have? American Crystal a Sugar. A lot. The harvest usually begins in the fall, typically in late September or early October, depending on the region and the weather conditions. But yeah. pre-harvest starts in late August or early September. Yeah, there's we got here uh, September 1st, but um, I'm working with people who've been here since like the first week of August. Oh, and, the first and, week of August. I thought it was well, like the end of August. They, I think the earliest that I've heard they started working was August 9th. Oh, okay. So that's still so very So what early. do they do? Let's talk a little bit about pre-harvest. What is pre-harvest versus regular harvest? Pre-harvest is where they take some of the beets from, you know, if they're mature enough to harvest, the growers pull them out and truck them to the piling sites where they're they're stored in like a, a smaller pile. Because like the regular harvest, we make huge piles and we set them up for deep freeze so that they can use them throughout the year. These are for basically immediate use. So they make what they call a ribbon, which is much narrower and shorter piles. So the they just come and they, they load all their haul all these beets in and we pile them up in a smaller, easier to manage pile. And then American Crystal Sugar comes in and takes them even while we're piling them. So they're taken from one end while we're piling on the other. And they do that all over. So they're yeah. doing that at all the piling sites that are in pre-harvest. Yep. It gives the the processing centers chances to get them all their equipment running, right? Well, yeah, basically because, the like I mentioned, the deep freeze pile, which is for long-term use, they use that throughout the whole winter and spring. And they use the pre-pile stuff to basically get those back up and running in the summer. And it's all like weather dependent, and re- when you have to rely on the weather, you have to make sure that the t- your timing is right when you harvest these, because the sugar content in the beets can vary, uh, and the farmers wanna they wanna harvest it when the sugar concentration in the beet is at its best or peak. So, is does the sugar concentration change as the plant grows, or is it weather? So, like today, it's sunny concentration's high (laughs) or is it based on the type of like where the plant is and it's growing i don't know that okay i don't know that but i do know that it can vary with um how dry or wet the weather has been and that can actually affect the size of the beets because i was asking just the other day when i had two separate trucks i was actually uh 
filling in in the piler for the normal piler operator. He was on break. So I was running it, and I had two trucks at the same time. One was dumping, and he had these huge, big, round, like, fat beets. And the truck on the other side who was getting ready to pile, he had all these, like, long, skinny beets. So you could clearly tell there was a difference, and I was wondering. So I was asking about that, and they said, you know, it's a lot of different factors. They said the seeds are mostly the same. You know, you get a lot of the same crop from different seeds, but uh, the the field condition and the weather and that stuff, because they had, like, spotty weather this past summer, so. And we should also mention the reason why it's so important to pull the sugar beets at the highest concentration is the farmers actually get paid on the sugar content. Yep. So that's how they get paid. They come in and their sugar is tested. Well, yep. So when they come in, we take a sample, uh, which we'll say is like maybe five to ten beets out of their load, and we bag them up and send them to the lab where they slice them open and test the sugar content. And every sample and bag has a ticket with a barcode. They know exactly what farmer's um, beets those are. So your site right now is done because you've been working pre-harvest. Your site is all done, actually, and you're actually going to a different site to work next week. Yep. What does that mean? What does that I mean? Like, what it, What do you mean that site is done? So now, do they just spend the next couple of weeks getting rid of that? Or yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. American Crystal Sugar will send their trucks in to uh, to remove all the stuff that we piled at that site. So basically, we you could say we ran out of room there, or we piled enough to we piled enough beets there um, to meet like their quota for them to use in a certain amount of time. So from while they use those, my crew or the crew that I'm on, uh, most of us are going to go to a different site and work there and pile them up. The nice thing is like all the equipment's pretty much the same and all the work is the same. You know, you can, yeah, yeah. groundwork is groundwork no matter what site you're at. So that's, that's the nice thing about that. And the site that I'm going to is only about 20 minutes away. So it's not going to be that big of a deal. We should mention that in pre-harvest, you you don't really have like the skid steer job. So you're doing there's, the hard work. There's less skid steer work. Um, although the, on my last day at my original piling site, I did use the skid steer for a few hours just doing cleanup and stuff like that. But yeah, there's not, I'm not laying down the tubes for like the deep freeze like I will during the normal har- harvest. So it's, you're working a lot harder. What, yeah. are your, what are your thoughts on I'll pre-harvest? say it's a lot harder work than I gave credit <laughs> for. Like, I discounted the amount of work that a ground person does, even though it's not back-breaking work. It's just a long day on your feet, especially when I was thrown into it. My first day at work was a 13-and-a-half-hour day. With You know, I did close to 20,000 steps. The day before that, or the let's say the months leading up to that, I averaged like five or six thousand steps a day, <laughs> not in work boots. So yeah. it was a it was a major it was a major change in my daily routine. But what's funny is on our last podcast, which when you if you go back and listen to those, you did say this is really easy stuff. It's just gotta stay up late, or you just gotta stay awake. Yep. So. Now you want to give them a little bit more credit. I will give them 
more credit. <laughs> it was a lot more work. <laughs> you had an easy job. I will say, after that first day, like at the end of the first day, my feet were like, they felt like balloons. They were so swollen feeling and sore, uh, and my body was a little achy. But you know what? The next day? Yeah, you were good. I was good to go. Mm-hmm. In the days, all the days after that, even I've even had a over 20,000 step day since then. Yeah. And I've had no issues, no sore no complaint. feet, yeah. no sore back or nothing. Yeah, the first day you were grumpy. I was like, I was we are whooped. not going to make it through this. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to make it through pre-harvest. I was not feeling good after that first day. But then the next day you were fine when you yep. came home. So, yeah, it was just the beginning, but that was kind of funny. All right, let's talk about the harvest. How does the farmers harvest these beets? So they have a plethora of, like, specialized machinery. A lot of tractors. They don't do it by hand? Nope. You know what's funny is when we first heard about the sugar beet harvest and you were like, we should do that. And I'm like, there's no freaking way I'm standing out in a field pulling beets out of the ground. <laughs> That's when I had no idea what the beet harvest was. But, but anyways, because I've picked strawberries with you guys and I have some miserable. Yeah, it is miserable. <laughs> no, just kidding. So there's several different steps to harvesting these. First, they have to go through and... They have to cut the tops off. Which is this big, bushy, green thing. Yeah, it's very... Looks like lettuce. It's very bushy, yeah. And uh, they use what they call a a machine called a rotobeater, which is like a pulled behind a huge tractor, and it's like a huge lawnmower. It's like 20 feet wide or something. So they go and they cut all the... They slice all the greenery off and just kind of leave the beet root itself. And when it does that, it kind of piles... It chops all the tops off, and it piles them up in between the rows of beets. So... You have, like, the beets that are exposed, and in between those are all piles of the, hmm, okay. the greenery. And then they go through with what the, the beet lifter, which is really what it's called, or beet harvester. And that pulls them out of the ground, and then it goes through this big, like, almost like a huge hamster wheel-looking thing. And it, that's what gets cleaned some of the dirt off. And then they get stored in the bin. And what they can do is transfer them from that bin to a cart or directly to a truck, depending on the condition of the field and how fast they're harvesting them. Um, some drivers prefer that that cart because they can get they don't have to go all the way into the field. With the truck, they can fill the cart, <laughs> take it up to the what staging area or whatever loading area, fill the trucks, and the trucks have to make just a short trip instead of driving all the way into the field because the field's wet or muddy or something. They might have to get pulled into the field or out of the field with a tractor, depending on the you know, It's just traction. extra work, yeah. Yeah. And so what happens is you have a semi-truck. So that's riding next to the tractor or the cart, if they yep. choose a cart to do the cart. So it's either a cart or a tractor or a, tr- a trailer driving next to the tractor. And the tractor is, like, picking them up and throwing them in this thing, right? Yep. Then what happens? And once they're collected, they put them in the, tr- the end of the trucks. They transport them to either to like a ribbon, like pre-pile site, or to a deep freeze piling site. So after the harvest, the sugar beets are processed to extract the sugar. And what is this involved? Do you know anything about this part? I've seen the poster in the <laughs> office. Okay. I think I took a picture of it, but maybe I'll take another one and yeah. share it. But. So we have an idea. We've yeah. read stuff on this, yep. and we kind of have an idea. I've never been to the plant, which is a bummer, because uh, even the people that I know that have gone there, you're not allowed to video or take pictures. 
Oh, it's but you would at secret. least you would at least know a little more. Yeah. Uh, they they have to wash the beets. They slice them very thin, and then they start extracting the sugar using a combination of hot water and diffusion. So it gets all like chemistry happens. Yeah. Science. The resulting liquid is known as raw juice. Yeah, raw juice. And this undergoes further purification and crystallization, processing it to produce the sugar. And so, then there's a byproduct. Yep. They I've seen multiple things. I've seen that they use it for animals. Yep. And then I saw that they don't. So what? what so is it's this? beet pulp. And um, I haven't been able to find any solid answer whether they use it in the U.S. or don't use it in the U.S. Somebody told me that they don't use it in the U.S., that they send it mostly over to, like, the U.K. and those countries um, for animal feed, for, like, cattle and stuff. But I did read I – I Googled it, and I saw some things that said it was formed into pellets and fed to our animals. So I don't really know. I also saw that it was used as other carbohydrate-based products, but don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> I'm actually going to link to this in um, this little like process because it's very interesting to me. I might even share a picture, um, but I'm going to link to it. It's on sugar.org, yep. and it talks about refining process of sugar cane and sugar beets. So it's kind of cool because you can compare the both if you're dorky like us and yeah. like to like learn this stuff. We we always tend to like go down a rabbit hole of stuff that we want to know about. <laughs> We're good homeschool which, parents. <laughs> which is one thing that I was going to mention is uh, if you go on YouTube, I actually tried looking up to see how I could refine my own sugar out of a sugar beet. Because mm. if like, you know, if some happen to like find their way home. Well, uh, I mean, you could get them on the side of the road. Yeah, They're exactly. everywhere. <laughs> I can get them anywhere I want in this town. But it's actually fairly easy. It just takes a lot of time. Like, you can wash them, and you can slice them super thin. Even maybe, I uh, wonder if you could even, like, blend it or uh, shred it in a shredder. I don't know. And you should get one off the road. It. Don't take one from a pile. And we should do that. We should boil it up, slice it thin. But the guy that I watched, his video, he, after he boiled it and um, strained it, because you, what you use is the liquid, not the actual yeah. beet. Once you strain it out, he, I think he used maybe like a cookie sheet, and then he put it, put it somewhere for like two weeks, mm. for that, and then it crystallized. You know, all the water evaporated out of it, it crystallized into sugar. And he said, it "Well, was can you sugar. dehydrate it?" That's what I was wondering. Interesting. We, we could run a, we could have our own sh sugar, sugar lab out of our yeah. RV, Breaking Bad style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about earlier about the weather is so important. It taught it, we talked about the concentration of the sugar, all of that. But during the harvest, the beet also needs to be between thirty and fifty-five degrees. So the actual harvest that starts later this month, um, that's important to make sure that they keep the beet during a certain temperature. And yep. so during certain times, they won't actually pick the beets yep. if it's like colder or hotter. Correct. Correct. Yeah, they don't want the beets to freeze because uh, that can damage, you know, the, the actual the beet itself. Uh, and they can't get too hot because if they're, if they're, if they're warm when they're piled and they're, they hold that heat, it can actually make parts of the pile rot. 
Yeah. We don't want that either. So the temperatures are between 30 and 55 degrees. And this is the actual harvest. This doesn't have anything to do with pre-harvest because pre-harvest they're using the beets right away. Yep. Correct? And they don't have to be like deep freezed. Yep. Uh, another process that they do, which I actually got to experience last year when it started to get real cold at night, was we would actually, me and another guy, Tim, we would actually uh, chop the beets. We went up into this booth and it was it's positioned on like the inbound side for the scale before they get to the scale. We grab a couple beets and we have this big machete thing and you chop off the very top to look for any type of frost damage. Uh-huh. Cause if any of them are frost damaged, they don't get to go in the pile. So we do that and then they go get weighed and then they go do their thing. But as the temperature gets really cold, they have to test those to make sure they're good. Very interesting. And I did not find any frostbitten ones. Uh, you know what? It was actually the time that we were cutting them, I think it was just getting into, like, the freezing temp. So it wasn't, like, it was below 32 for, like, four or five hours, you know, and then we started testing them. It was just a precaution, you know, and just in case the temperature was getting low enough to, cro- to cause any frost anywhere. And I'm sure the farmers are temping them as well, like, taking the temperature you know, before they so. actually pick them. And another thing that they have to worry about, which I learned then, is um, when they're topping the beets with their rotobeater, they can't get too far ahead in case they have to stop oh, lifting beets. Because yeah. they... if you if you go like, you know, six rows ahead with the rotobeater and it frosts or freezes, those six rows are going to be shot. You can't even harvest them. The other important parts about weather conditions we talked about earlier, if it rains, they have to do a lot of the tractor pulling. So they'll have yep. to go in and hook the trailers or the semis up to tractors and be pulled out yeah. and pulled in. And that's just a lot of work. It's a, you know, they have to pay more employees to do it. It's a lot of time. So I think they try to do it as long as they can, if they yeah. have the equipment to do it. Yeah. Um, but then they just, um, it becomes a, I think it becomes a point where it's too costly and then they just don't do that anymore. Yeah, if you're adding extra equipment into the equation and extra drivers for that equipment, and then the extra time it takes, sometimes it's not worth it to continue on. You just have to wait it out. Unless it's looking bad, and then they might just do it. <laughs> well, that's what insurance is for. Yeah. <laughs> they have crop insurance in case, you know, it, like too late in the season. Mm-hmm. If it gets too cold and the beet and the ground freezes, they can't pull the beets out either. Then it's like a loss. All right, let's dive into American Crystal Sugar Company. And we're only doing this just like based on, you know, what we've been able to figure out about them and what we know about this type of company. So some of these things could be wrong and not quite like what American Crystal Sugar Company does. But a lot of these types of companies do the same thing. So what's really cool about this company is it's actually the sugar beet farmers that own it. Yeah, it's a co-op. Yep. So these farmers not only grow the sugar beets, but they also have a stake in the processing and marketing of the of the sugar beets themselves. So they're member-owned. The board of directors are the members, which are the farmers. Yep. What's really cool about this type of company is that they have shared resources. So they can invest in large-scale processing facilities. So these big processing facilities, a farmer, a grower... A grower couldn't have by themselves. Yep. But when they're part of this co-op, they can all pay for these companies. Also, the marketing efforts. Marketing is super expensive. Um, and to be honest, I'm sure a lot of the growers don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So 
to um, to join efforts, it makes it a lot more affordable. Another benefit is stable pricing. So the growers can achieve more stable pricing for their crops when they're selling than when it, they're selling them individually. They have this huge amount of crop that they can sell. Yeah, because you can be a huge farm, and you can also have, you know, a much smaller scale farm all putting into the same business. Yeah, exactly. But of course, the and I don't know how their pay scale works. I'm not getting any insider information here, but I'm assuming everyone is paid. Like all the growers are paid on how much they harvest. It's not like it's this is not like a socialist company <laughs> where um, everyone gets the same amount of money. The they they get what they put in, yep. but as a whole, they are now American Crystal Sugar. They're not individual farmers trying to sell to places like Walmart, for yep. example. Um, they are American Crystal Sugar, so there's one price, so they can get a more stable price. And then Finally, they have shared profits. The profits and you know are based on what they put in, but um, of course that goes out to everyone. Yep. To be part of this kind of co-op situation, there has to be commitment. So whatever that happens in the office and they decide what everyone does, the farmers um, commit to delivering a certain amount of sugar beets to the processing facilities. I'm sure they even have two different maybe quotas. They do it in the beginning, which is pre-harvest, you know, Farmers have to do, like, X farmer has to bring, X grower has to bring yeah. in this amount to pre-harvest, and then X grower brings in this amount to main harvest. They do have um, quotas, which I could see. You can actually see this information. You don't have to be part of the co-op. If you go to their website, which I think is crystalsugar.com, and you go to, like, a harvest info, and there's a public link, hmm. you can actually see the different sites, piling sites, and it'll tell you uh, what their quota is. Like our quota at Grafton for the pre-pile was like 5.9 tons per acre. But I'm talking about the actual um, farmers. They are the actual growers. They have quotas too, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Know, Or they at least, I don't know if they have quotas, but they at least tell the company as a whole what they plan on bringing in. Yep. I will link the Crystal Sugar website as well. In the show notes. And as far as the actual sugar beet harvest goes, which it typically starts on October 1st. This year, we they moved it up one day to September 30th. Not sure why, but whatever. Maybe there's a weather window or something that they're, they're predicting, but um, that's the typical time, October 1st. Like, we committed from October 1st to October 31st, and if it gets done early, then that's good. If it gets done on November 1st. We don't actually have to do that. But you can. But we would. Yeah. We would stay, probably. I mm -hmm. don't know. And the main harvest can last anywhere from two to four weeks. Mostly, though, it's about 14 days, 14 yep. full days. If they worked straight, it would be 14 full days, and you should be pretty much done. And that's, that's what they, they say. That's how, like, Express Employment sells it, too. You know, yeah. um, you get paid X amount for 14 days or two weeks worth of work. Whether it's two weeks in a row or if it's two weeks worth two, two, 14 work days spread out over a month, that can vary. And last year we came in, um, we started on October 1st. Yep. And we left, when did we leave? I want to say we left maybe October 19th or 20th. Yeah. So there were um, quite a few days of stay pay. That's the thing. When you don't work, yep. you get stay pay during the main 
Yep. Harvest. Yeah, I think I had four days of stay pay, and I had a couple, maybe half days because of it was too warm to work. That was early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we came early for pre-harvest, and you've worked, I don't know, five days or six days. I think six. Yeah, of pre-harvest so far. Yep. Next week you're going to be working two, few days. Probably three to four days, yeah. Mm-hmm. This last week was nice because I worked basically Monday through Thursday and had a three-day weekend. Yeah. I think pre-harvest isn't that bad. In the yeah. beginning, I was like, oh, boy, this is going to be rough. Yeah, my first day, <laughs> after that long first day after not having any work, I was like, yes, this is going to be a very long month of pre-pile, <laughs> pre-harvest. But now it's not too bad. And the shifts, I know we've talked about this multiple times, but the shifts go from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. is the night shift. And then 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. is the day shift. So the, just two shifts. And keep in mind that for pre-harvest, it's only day shift. There's it's, And uh, that's another expectation I and had. And it's earlier than know. 8. <laughs> I thought it was like 8 to 5 shift. It is a 6.30 until you're done shift. Yes. So I have had a 14-hour day. And part of that was staying behind and staying after the work was done and then cleaning. For maybe an hour, hour and a half. But... Um, it's easily you can easily work a twelve hour day if you're busy enough. If they're if they have enough growers bringing stuff in, yeah, this is good to note because I actually had this in my mind that you know it's pre harvest. They don't want to pay overtime. They have a whole yep. month, so they're gonna just like you're gonna be working an eight to five. And that's actually some information that I I was told probably last year about pre harvest was that they usually don't go over eight hours. Because there's typically no overtime available for pre-pile, pre-harvest. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, it's eight, I it was expecting like an 8 to 5 yeah. or something. And it's not. It's 630. Nope. <laughs> 630 to whenever. And there yep. is overtime. Every yep. day you've worked pretty much has been overtime except for like the last day. Yeah. Last, Anything yeah. over 8 hours, they pay time and a half. Yeah, so that's important to note about pre-harvest if you're interested in doing pre-harvest. You can, and I don't know, do they do it for people that have never done the beet harvest before? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we have some people who have never done the beet harvest uh, work in the pre-harvest, so. So you can come early if you want. Just, I guess you'd let them know I'm interested in coming early. And, you know, the, the tip that I have about that is contact them early in the year because there is a list of people who want to do pre-pile. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, Another, the friend of mine, Tim, he was having trouble getting onto the pre-pile list until right up to like the last minute because they wanted to come do it. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, if you're interested in doing it, let them know ahead of time and then you can come in early, but just know that it's not like eight to five. Yeah. <laughs> like we were thinking like, they're not going to want to pay overtime. They're not going to, like, it's going to be easy. Yep. Why not do it? And then, and they don't have Skidster. I mean, they have a little bit of that. They don't, um, and I don't think they have extra pay, right, for, like, the other jobs? As far as I know, it's all, like, uh, helper, sampler, taker pay, which this year for us is $18.80 an hour. Mm-hmm. But your Skidster pay is more. Twenty twenty nine, I think. Twenty sixty five or something? Something like that. Yeah. It's over 20 Cool. 20 and some change. Another thing to keep in mind when thinking about doing the harvest is weather for yourself. This is not weather for the beets. Yep. <laughs> this is for yourself. 
North Dakota is cold the time that you're here. In the yep. beginning, it's hot. I mean, it's been hot every day. We've had our air on, I think, every day we've been here. Maybe like two days we haven't yeah. had the air on. It's hot right now. I'm sweating while having this podcast. So you should be prepared for cold, though, because yeah. it, like in the when the main harvest happens, it gets cold, freezing temperature. Can, especially if you're night shift, you're without the sun. It's pretty much going to be cold. One thing about this area is it's typically very windy. So you're going to be happy to have that uh, skidster with the yeah. heat. Yeah, absolutely. Being <laughs> all enclosed. That's why the piler operator is a good job to have and the skid steer is a good job to have because you're protected from the elements. Mm -hmm. But But also for your RV, um, you know, last year we had freezing days, but I don't remember our water freezing last year. So, but it can, so you should take into account like getting a hose, you know, that can, the electric hoses or or insulated or like maybe we did, uh, Maybe I unhooked it one day and it just ran off the fresh water tank. I don't remember. But here, it can get very windy. Uh, with that, can be cold, you know, wind chill. There can be periods of like rain. It, it Last year, it actually rained some. There was some snow flurries. There was that frost shut, shut down for like four days. I kind of like the spot we're in. Um, like our neighbors, I think, are here for the harvest, the yep. whole harvest. So yep. they should be here and they're bigger than us. Yeah. And... There's a guy behind us. He's here for the whole harvest. I don't know if the guy on the other side of us is, but then there's a tree here. I feel like we're kind of like kind of protected, protected yeah. a little bit <laughs> from the elements. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how well that works out. But it's just something to keep in mind that um, that it is cold here, so you know, and gloomy. Don't come here and get all depressed. Yeah, and when and there's not a lot to do in this area. I mean, yeah. If, there's not a, I mean, if you're a hiker, there's not really a lot of hiking to do, no trails, unless you drive an hour and a half, and then there's some decent stuff, but. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, like, bike pathways and stuff, which is kind of cool. Yep. And there's a lot of flat area to hike if you don't like hiking on hills. <laughs> if you like to speed walk, there's good speed walking areas. <laughs> Just keep that in mind about the weather. When it comes to preparing for the weather here, uh, layers, layering your clothes, like I have, some thermal underclothes. I have some windproof pants. They're, I don't know, Wrangler outdoor gear or all-terrain gear pants. And they are very wind- windproof, so that's helpful. And if it rains here, they typically have rain gear, like rain pants and a raincoat that they supply to use. But other than that, they recommend you have a 14-day supply of clothes to while you're here, but which is practically impossible in an RV, especially when you're getting them dirty. Yeah. There is a laundromat in town, which is helpful. And there's a laundromat here at the Grafton campground, but it's only one washer and one dryer. So when real harvest kicks off, it's probably going to be 24-7. So you're saying that I'm going to have to, like, do laundry? Maybe. Oh, know. no, I won't have to because I don't have a car. Oh, no, I do have a car because it's night shift. Dang. Yep. I'm going to have to go do laundry. <laughs> But you know what? One thing about night shift is I'll probably, I'm not going to come home and go right to bed. Oh, yeah. So you can go do your own damn laundry. I'm going to have to have like that little wind down (laughs) period, you know? You can wind down at the laundromat. Exactly. Maybe fall asleep there. (laughs) I love the way you're thinking, honey. (laughs) Last year, though, you actually bought a coat. What's funny is you didn't have a coat before because, you know. Why would we have a coat? We chase 70s. Yeah, nope. hoodie, if, I, if a hoodie isn't sufficient enough, then We're I need moving. to move. 
<laughs> so you didn't have a coat. So to come here, you bought a coat, but you never used it. Right. It, st- it still has the tags on it. Yep. And I have it. It's a Do nice you think coat. you're going to use it this year? No, I won't probably use it. <laughs> you should at least take it. Well, I had it in the Jeep the whole season last year. Oh, you did? I just, just never, never used it. Never got cold enough to need it. Also, chapstick. Bring oh, your yes. chapstick. And a scarf. Maybe just to block the wind from your face. One thing I love about this, and I think that kind of brought us back this year, is you made some friends, and it's a good community, and it's kind of fun in a way. Um, It's a good way to get out of the house and do your own thing. Like, you're normally here with us and the kids and all the time. Yeah. I at least, when I work, I kind of like, I'm still in the house with you guys and with, you know, like, you guys are all still there. But I am definitely siloed from you, and I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> now that I've had to take care of my kids for <laughs> a few days, like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is this is hard. <laughs> Homeschool and all that—it's hard. So it's kind of cool for you to get out um, away from us, even though it's work, which kind of sucks. But um, but you've made good friends. I mean, you have some friends that you talk to even after you leave here, yeah. which is nice. Good community. I think you know pretty much everybody that I've met. Um, like last year and this year, because this year I met new people that were are, we're all working the same shift. But last year they were like night shift. I was day, so we didn't really get to mingle at all. But I I don't think I've met anybody that I didn't like, yeah, or didn't get along with. You know, it's a good community, good good way to meet new friends. Because a lot of them are our viewers, so we're kind of mm-hmm. you know on the same page there. And even the locals, the locals are mostly, like, curious about it. So they're, like, always asking questions and this and that. And they have good things to talk about, too. Yeah. It's like, their whole story is interesting, which is actually bringing up the next thing. We have found two different YouTube things that we liked. Um, one of them, we don't actually follow them normally, but it's the Sugar Beet Mafia video. I'll link it in the show notes. This is a really cool YouTube video because it shows it from the farmer's point of view um, of the actual sugar beet harvest. Yep. So it's just one video. I think it was like an hour long, th- though. Yeah, I was thinking it was like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, it's 45 minutes to an hour long. It's one grower. It's, yeah, it's Goodidas Farms. Yep. And who I had experience with last year. Yeah, which was kind of cool because you, yep. you knew who they were. Um, it talks about them and, you know, like their Like their family experience. and yeah, yeah, what they do on a daily basis and what they're, you know, what they have to accomplish throughout the season. And this was like, you know, just, it, it talks about just like a couple of days. It's not like over a whole season. It was really just like a few days, but it was like grind work. Like I was like, oh, like this it was rough like, yeah, work. It was like when it was like in prime time. Yeah. So it's a good video. We'll link it in the show notes. I'll even drop the video probably. Yeah, even – and you know what? I was even impressed with, like, the video – videography and, like, the quality of the video. And everything was really good. It was put together very well. Yeah, I think the people that put it together – I'll link them as well. They have, like, an Instagram account, and they've done some other stuff, I think. Um, I'll link them as well. They're different from that farmer because they went in and, like, followed the farmer yeah. and experience, you know, did that with them. But um, I think they're called, like – ag something i don't know it's kind of cool like ag oh. marketing or something i don't, I don't know like yeah it was kind of cool I, I can't remember what it is now but i'll link it in the show notes so you can follow them as well and then finally we also follow follow beat farm and mitch and we might have mentioned this on our last podcast last year he is a farmer here in this area yep in fact you've seen him like multiple times already yep. this year which is really cool. He has a YouTube video, 
really, really nice guy. I don't know this guy at all. And, I, you know, when you watch somebody on YouTube, they're always not what you think they are in real life. But I can tell you this guy is exactly like yeah. his video. <laughs> he seems so real. Well, uh, And his wife is wonderful. I love their channel so much. I highly recommend their channel. They talk about other things, not just sugar beets. Yeah. Um, they do, like, farm life in general. Yep. So I will link them in the show notes and a video of them. And there's also an article about him um, on that sugar.org website. So I'll link that as well. It talks about, you know, his family and all that, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, he's like a funny guy. He's like, it's very wholesome. Like, you know. It, yeah, you'll see like Bible verses and yeah, you'll hear Bible verses. And there's always like a principle that you'll yeah. learn. <laughs> But yeah, I did. I get to say hi to him. I asked him, like, I saw him coming through the truck. I was like, "Hey, are you beet farming, Mitch?" And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> and I'm like, "Love your channel, dude." And uh, yeah, I saw him a bunch after that too, and he always waves and stuff. Yeah, he's a nice. He seems like a very yeah, nice guy. Very nice dude. So yeah, we'll link their YouTube channel as well. He doesn't do just sugar beets. He talks about other things as well. Um, but he does some really cool drone footage, and you get to see the, you know, the. You get to see the area yeah. uh, throughout different seasons. And the trouble, like, the things that they have to deal with um, in this area. And it's kind of interesting because I watched a video today, actually, from him um, about, like, the flood. And what's really interesting about that is that, you know, this area is known for their, like, fertile land. But that's so fertile because that river. Yeah, it's in a flood zone. Floods. And so it's like a double-edged sword or something yep i don't know catch 22 so all in all we're excited to be here again i'm having fun even though i've had a couple rough days just because it's it was busy and that's another thing i didn't know is uh on some days during the pre-harvest they go wide open full throttle (laughs) i didn't know that so that was an unexpected experience but it wasn't bad like we got through it I am very interested to see how the nights go. I feel like they're not going to be as busy, but I don't know. Everybody tells me that they're slower. Yeah, because I don't, like, I mean, I know there's going to be farmers that go all night, but I would feel, I feel like it's ideal for them to go during the day as well. So if they can go during the day, why wouldn't they, you know, but But who knows? October 1st, all bets are off and they just, they go until they can't go anymore. Yeah. And, I mean, they have that whole shift for a reason. So, (laughs) I mean, it's not 8 to 10. It really. It's 8 to (laughs) 8. It all boils down to the weather. Yeah. If If it's a decent enough weather window, then you just do it. Well, it'll be interesting. At the end of, so this is podcast one of the season. At the end of the season, so like in November, um, you'll hear from us again, and we'll tell you how night shift went. Yeah, I'll be able to assess that. I'm, and, like, nervous about it, but I'm kind of excited because I've never done anything. And I'm not doing it alone. You've never worked a night shift. Not really, no. I mean, you used to party all night, but. That's totally different. <laughs> but maybe this will be easier. No, probably not. <laughs> but I am, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it alone. I'm going to be with a bunch of people who have done it before as well, or some most of them have done it before. And they've already given me some tips on yeah. what to do, how to adjust to the nights and stuff. Like, some don't them, have the heat on in your skidster? Some of them say just <laughs> stay up for, like, 24 hours, and then, you know, by the end of that first shift, you'll just sleep all day, and you'll 
kind of get into a group. So wait, you're supposed to stay up 24 hours before you go work 12 hours? That doesn't seem very smart. Not before. <laughs> you're supposed to stay up for that full 24 hours. And then that at the end of the 24 hours is your sh- at, was your shift. Then you go to bed. Oh. Then you'll sleep. Because some people I feel are worried like about sh- sleeping during the day. Yeah. Like I can't, I have a hard time sleeping during the day. I feel like you should sleep 24 hours, or wait, sorry, stay awake 24 hours, sleep that night, and then wake up and go to your shift. <laughs> I feel like you should not be working a shift, a 12-hour shift at the end of a 24-hour period. That seems like a bad idea. But. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we will give updates at the end in November of how this went. Um, I will say that during preseason or the pre-harvest last week, I had a couple rough days that afterwards I was like, I don't even want to do dinner. Like, <laughs> can you guys just make some something, chicken nuggets Lexi, or something? make me an egg. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even hungry. That's how, like, exhausted I was. Yep. Um, it's just funny because, like, I'm not – I'm used to working. And, you know, Tony even makes my lunch for me. You know, like, I take a lunch, but it's, like, lunch is made. Yep. I don't even have to make my own lunch. It's so nice. So, like, you know, I'm working, and then all of a sudden it's, like, 1 p.m., and Lexi's like – where's the food mom and I'm like oh yeah I gotta do that so then I have to like wrap up what I'm doing and my job is easy like I do online marketing and it's easy and stuff but it's you get into like a mode you know and you're like doing work and then you have to stop and then like step away and then it's hard to get like back into the mode so so that's gonna be rough but I'm sure I'll adjust fine but um but it's funny I had to like tell people at work like uh, I guess I got to go make my kids food, so I'll be back. <laughs> like, I'm not used to, like, taking <laughs> a break like that. Yeah, the breakfast, so. the lunch, and then the dinner. But it is going to be interesting, and it'll maybe, it'll help me make some boundaries for work, because I do take a lunch, but I normally work through my lunch, um, and then just get out earlier, but now maybe I'll take a lunch and leave, and it'll be a boundary I keep. Yep. Either way. It's going to be a learning experience for me, too. So you might even hear a podcast in the middle of the month from us like we did last year as well. Yeah. We'll tell you how sweet of a job this really is. Yeah. All right. Cool. I think that's it. Yep. Let us know. Um, Leave us a message. First of all, leave us a message if you have any questions about this episode. But you can also leave us a message if you want to be on that 100th episode. We'd really love it. Thefailers.com slash message. Super easy. You can do it on your phone. There's going to be a button there. You just hit the button and you start talking. You could also leave us a message um, at hi at the Faolas or on any of our social networks by DMing us. Yeah, and make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at the Faolas. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Yep. Sweet tooth. No, take that out. That was dumb. <laughs> that was dumb. They use, they use. Uh, there's a, there's a different, difference. It's exactly what it sounds like. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, say it again. With I won't mess it up this time. I feel and like that's a song. Sing it. The root that they harvest. No, the root. The roots. <laughs> The root, the root. Something about root. The root is made of sugar. No, there's a root song. What is the it? The roof. No. Blame it all on my roots. Showed up in boots. 
I got sidetracked there for a minute. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> 